This is Blaine Scully. Welcome to the Captain's Code. Each week, we talk with the leaders of high-performance teams about the role they play in making a culture of excellence possible. Tom Billups is associate head coach of the University of California varsity rugby program, where he is also in charge of the team strength and conditioning program. A former professional player who played internationally for the United States, Coach Billups was one of the first American rugby players to sign a professional contract, playing for clubs such as Blackheath, Harlequins, and Pontiac. After retiring from professional play, he went on to coaching the U.S. national team. Coach Billups is a member of the U.S. Rugby Hall of Fame and was awarded the Craig Sweeney Award for making significant contributions to the game while displaying exemplary character on and off the field. Coach Phillips, thanks so much for um, coming on this podcast. Couldn't choose a better place for us to have this conversation uh, in Memorial Stadium overlooking the Simpson High Performance Center where um, we spent the better part of nine months rehabilitate, rehabilitating my um, Achilles rupture injury. And you know, I'll never forget, and I think it's indicative of who you are as a as a, not only as a coach but as a man and, and as a personal mentor of mine who I, I don't know if I respect anybody more but I remember calling you when I walked off the field saying we have a problem and you said we'll come home and we'll fix you and um, you know this is one of the most powerful relationships I have in my life and you know, I'd like to thank you for your continued mentorship and, and um, all you've done for both myself and every um, Cal Rugby Cal Rugby student athlete that's come through this building. So, you know, thanks for, for being on. Yeah, thank you. I'm glad to have you back on campus. So if, if we could just kind of start out with a little bit of your background and kind of how you got to where we are today. Well, um, small town kid from Southeast Iowa, I was able to figure out pretty early on in my life that um, I was going to have to be on mission overachieve of I was going to get anything accomplished. So becoming the first one in my family to graduate from college was really driven by wanting to continue to play football. Uh, it wasn't to get a degree um, initially. And, um, and then it was a football coach, assistant coach, who tapped me on the shoulder and said, you know, you ought to try this game called rugby. And uh, over 100 of us on the Augustana college football team, and I was the only guy that he tapped on the shoulder. And fast forward to... 1989 and representing the U.S. in the Hong Kong Sevens, the um, first time in a red, white, and blue jersey, and that was the ignition moment. I, this is what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. Played at Augustana, played football there, four national championships, um, and then you get introduced to rugby, and you decide this is what you want to do with your life, and you commit yourself to that. Can you can you share a little bit about that dirt journey and you know the the drive to San Francisco, going to New Zealand, a little bit of, a little bit of that? Uh, playing for Coach Reed uh, in the early 80s at Augustana uh, really taught me how to win. And, and, and really the bedrock of that is you got to work. And, you know, Coach Reed was, uh, you know, an older coach uh, for a small college, uh, Division Three. Well, I mean, we're sack lunch guys. There's no scholarships. Um, but we're 49-0-1 in four years. And... Uh, so, you know, learning how to, how to prepare and learning how to win uh, and learning that you don't have to lose. Losing isn't inevitable. You can continue to win, but you're going to have to continue to work. When the rugby uh, 
uh, opportunity came around, I think rugby kind of found me as much as I found rugby. My demeanor and my approach kind of meshed with the game because it's changed a little bit now uh, to the game that you play, but the game that, that I used to play, you know, it, it, it kind of benefited the guys that could just keep grinding and, and just run from thing to thing to thing. And so that was, uh, that was where I was able to kind of exploit one of my kind of innate strengths, if you will, as, as an athlete. Um, I was always going to have to be on mission overachieve. Uh, there's always going to be guys taller and faster and stronger and certainly smarter. But the one thing that I could control was my work ethic. And if I could, and if I could just outwork, you know, a couple of those other guys, then, then I was going to have a chance. In those early days of, uh, of amateur rugby, um, you know, it was kind of like the NCAA football in the, and maybe in the 70s where things were a little loose. So sold my, uh, my prized shotgun for gas money uh, to a, a, a local police officer. And uh, after coming home from New Zealand, playing a season there, I drove from, from Iowa to California for the first time uh, using that, that, that money the proceeds from that shotgun sales as gas money and um, and just continue to chase you know excellence in the sport of rugby and 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 that was uh, uh, you know that was really the time of my life there was there was no internet there was no uh, there was just maybe the, the bludgeoning of technology really in sport not only or in day-to-day -day life so you weren't tethered to a cell phone and uh, I don't know that I really had a permanent address I had a kit bag with my rugby gear and, and I was going to go play in every game that I could to try to improve wherever it was, whichever continent it might be on. You're in this pursuit of as achieving and realizing your dream, which was to represent the United States, which you do, you do realize. Um, but at the same time, you also kind of intersect with the start of professional rugby. Um, and can you talk a little bit about, you know, so you, you, you perform and, and you compete for the national team, then there's opportunities overseas that you're trying to chase as well. And then all of a sudden, you are one of the first Americans to play overseas professionally, um, but one of the first professionals in, in a generation to, to compete both at international and professional level in the sport of rugby. You know, it was, it, it's never as glamorous as it, as it sounds, maybe, or, or as you might remember, but uh, when you reflect back on it, but it was, it was very heady times. I mean, I, I literally, I made a, a VHS tape and I, and I, and I snail mailed letters to every professional team in, in the United Kingdom. And I waited to hear back. And then those that I got a response from, I sent this video, this VHS videotape that I made. And, uh, I signed a contract initially that was, that was for two years. And within four months, it was not worth the paper it was written on. And I'd, I'd shut down everything in the United States. I'd given away possessions and sold car, my car. And I mean, I mean the cliff edge was, was right behind my heels. And I'm like, well, what am I going to do? Well, you, you just bear down. And uh, so I trialed at Harlequins for two weeks, traveling from southeast London all the way over to the far southwest of London, right through Waterloo Station. And I'm, I'm just a kid from Iowa and uh, made my debut for the Auckland Blues and then started every game the rest of that year. 
And I think that being a, a collegiate student athlete was probably one of the biggest contributions that I was able to bring to that, that first um, uh, year of professional rugby worldwide. It's like, well, what do we do? Do we wear our tracksuits all day? I mean, are we here nine to five? Do we just do more jumping jacks or push-ups? I mean, those guys didn't have, the Englishmen didn't have any idea how it would work. And so I think maybe some of my impact was to be able to say, well, this is what we're going to do, guys. We're going to get up, we're going to have breakfast, and then we're going to go train, and then we're going to take a shower, and we're going to have lunch, and then we're going to strength train after that. And, and it, was, it was just my collegiate experience brought forward into a, an adult life. And that, that was a question I was going to ask you, and it's you know, been our continuing conversation, really, over the duration of my professional international career, is, is trying to understand what it actually means to be a pro. Yeah. Like how, how are you a professional athlete? It's not about getting paid. It's about what you do. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, uh, you know, in our, in our mature sports um, in the United States, it, it's, it's kind of a given. But, you know, what we typically hear about is the guys that stub their toes, right? The guys that, that, that make a misstep. But being a professional is, um, is, is certainly much more than, than earning a paycheck. It's, it's just about how you do business and, and how prepared you are and, uh, you know, both on the field and off. It's how, it's how you interact with your colleagues, uh, with your superiors, um, with, you know, with George that, 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 that cleans this building, um, you know, that we're in today. You know, how, how do you, how do you interact with those people and, and, uh, you know that's that's a big big part of it, and and I think that uh, it was where I was able to you know make make some kind of a contribution, um, you know throughout um, the London Harlequins and and uh, and maybe kind of expose some of my teammates who were really really good rugby players, but they didn't know how to be a professional athlete. You finish your professional career overseas. Um, you retire internationally after the 99 World Cup, uh, and then you start this transition to to being a coach, um, strength conditioning initially, and then you know from there you kind of grow and develop into other roles. But could you talk a little bit about identifying, okay, coaching is what I want to do, and then a little bit around the transition from from athlete to then um, to coach? Yeah, well, I can remember uh, I was in middle school in the in the mid 70s when my first kind of formal coach, Ted Fenton, um, explained to me that you, know, you can make a living being a coach. And he was a school teacher, but he was also a coach. And I remember just being flabbergasted by that, especially, well, you mean in strength and conditioning as well? And this is an old universal select drive, move the pin, you know, workout room. And I mean, I have vivid memories of that. And and I think part of my uh, part of my um, transition from an athlete to a coach was 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 really grounded in Ten Fenton's impressions, Jim Hoffman's impressions, um, and then certainly Jack Clark's impressions on me as an athlete. Um, I had the I had the luxury as an athlete uh, to have a little bit of a, a of a say in that in that glide path of when I was going to be done. So I started really just forging a list, you know, all the things that I wanted to remember to do as a coach if, if and when I became one. And then the other side of that ledger is things I want to remember to never do, never say as a coach. And, 
and then that transition happened pretty quickly with the national team. Um, Coach Clark had coached the team for seven years, longer than really anybody in the modern era. And then we had um, we had an international coach uh, follow Coach Clark, whose staff I was on. And then within 18 months of my retiring as a player, USA Rugby asked me if I would uh, be the interim coach for a test match against the, the uh, South African Springboks in Houston, Texas. And, you know, when the team ever called on me, I'd always say yes. So in this case, they called on me as a coach, and, and the boys played out of their skin that day. And, and then several weeks later, I was appointed as the national team head coach. And can you talk a little bit about how that transition and, and how you, you balance, okay, in a lot of cases, you know, teammates that you, you competed with, and then balancing professional relationships with the personal relationships and and caring for people, but also understanding that there are certain standards, both culturally and technically and tactically, that need to be met in order to be a part of this this team. Right. Well, I, I think first and foremost, I was I was really lucky in the fact that I had some really really good teammates who continued on after the '99 Rugby World Cup. Not only was I coaching my former teammates and friends, I was coaching really good rugby players, guys that were really in the sweet spot of their careers. I think they realized that there had to be some separation uh, between us now, um, that I wasn't going to sit around and play cards with them after uh, evening meetings and so forth, that I I had more work to do. And uh, it's a lot more fun being a player than it is a coach uh, in, in that regard. Uh, there's more downtime as a player than than there certainly is as a coach, but um, I think the transition was 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 eased by those national team players being pros, and and hopefully by just the way that I I try to do business as a as a as a player that uh, I didn't really have anything to to apologize for or to back up on, say well guys you know I was doing this when I was a player, but I don't want you to do it now. I didn't have any of those moments. You and I had this conversation the other day. You're probably the only player to national team representative to captain both national teams, 15s and 7s, and then coach both national teams, 15s and 7s. And I wonder if you could kind of touch a little bit on rugby uh, and what kind of makes it unique, but then also specific to the role of captaincy and on-the-field leadership, and then how you've kind of used that to inform um, – what you know about the game and your experience as a coach and helping grow and develop and identify that and, and, and um, facilitate that growth. The game has changed, as you know, where, you know, in the start of my international career, you know, the coaches weren't allowed down on the field. I mean, the coaching took place during the week and then it was, it was a player's game and, and, the, and therefore the captain had to have some, 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 co- some coaching awareness, uh, some tactical awareness is what's going wrong and what's going right and uh, what do we need to fix. And, and then it was during, uh, during the time of my career from 93 to 99 that as rugby became more and more professionalized, it was like, well, wait a minute, we ought to let these coaches out on the sidelines. I was the benefactor of that crossover from the coaches in the stands and he's not going to help you now. You got to figure it out with your, with your teammates. Uh, to wait a minute, you know, coach is going to be down on the sidelines now at halftime, and we're going to be able to to get it straight from from the coaches um, themselves. And so, th- I think that was that was an invaluable thing for me to appreciate um, having that experience as a player, and then knowing what that feels like as as a coach. 
those guys are down there trying to figure some stuff out and it's, it's all happening very quickly. And now how can I articulate in a very concise manner, this is what the next most important thing is that we need to do. And kind of on that, so how, how do you train that? How do you grow that? How do you, how do you coach that? Is it just through experience, or is it on the field like during training? And yeah, I think I think it, it's it's a collection of all of it, which is which is the cool the the cool part of studying sport. Um, I mean, in no other in no other real walk of life do you do you schedule competitions and then announce them, publish them, encourage people to come watch you work. Therefore, because you're you're training for su such a public event. You should train it all, and we would mock up um, blood substitutions in training. We would mock up, we're up by three with three minutes to go. What do we do? Here we are on the field, and some of that's hard-earned. We lost a game. Uh, the U.S. lost a game in Canada in the Churchill Cup to Argentina, and the very next day after that loss, we went back, and we, we on the training field, we went through every phase of rugby that led to our demise. And then we paused, we took a drink of water, and now we're going to walk back through it and in what we should have done. So, you know, to be able to monetize and to, action, and to put some action into your experience is important. Otherwise, those experiences don't mean anything. And so, I mean, as a coach, you're, you're growing and developing the team. Um, but also, what, you, what we always talk about is actually as an individual becoming a subject matter expert in what it is we're doing and so for you it's technical and tactical it's also the physical with your strength and conditioning background as well and then the cultural and organizational i'm wondering how you, you've kind of used all the different influences and inputs to kind of inform your package on how you think about your teams and how you approach and then what that looks like day in and day out because i did such a quick turn from player to coach i was I was, I was highly sensitive to the fact that I didn't want to just be a former player that was now coaching. I wanted to, I wanted to, to become as good of a coach as I could as quickly as I could. And uh, some of that you can't rush. Some of that you just have to experience and go through. Um, but I think because I had that initial real concern that you know I didn't want to be a, the, the guy that, well, I'm done playing now, so I'll just coach. I, I, I wanted to make that transition. Um, that probably that probably really uh, drove me to be you know more more technically aware, more technically proficient, you know, uh, to really throw myself at learning you know all the other things that I didn't I didn't even know that I didn't know about about the craft of coaching. I'm I'm trying to bring uh, all the all those collective experiences um, in all the applied sports sciences to every exchange that I have with the with the student athlete. And one of my favorite quotes, which basically sums up your evidence-based approach is, well, I guess when you can know. It's one of the, it's one of the, the, the truisms in sport where you know, coaches get they, get, they get credit for being uh, authoritarian experts, you know, maybe even when they shouldn't get that credit. And I, I, I feel it's, it's, it's at the core of my responsibilities. I have to be accurate. Don't have to always be right, and if I don't know, I got to say I don't know. And if I say let me check, then give me a chance to let me check into something. But in in the advent of so much big data and technology, 
our sport, I believe, should drive that. The technology shouldn't drive the sport. We're still in the human being business. We're, we're preparing young men and women to go compete. And that means that we have a responsibility to those student athletes to be accurate. And why should we guess when we can know? The knowing part just means it's, you're gonna have to work a little harder. How does that dialogue happen? How does that feedback from both coach to athlete and then the, basically the collaboration on continual growth, which is you know, one of the Cal Rugby va values? Yeah, I, I think that you know constant performance improvement's hard. And, uh, and you wake up every morning and you slap your hands together and you go, man, I gotta get better today? I got better yesterday. Well, we can find something that we can get better at. Um, Maybe it's be, being pre more prepared for training. Um, you know, maybe it's spending a little bit more time on uh, looking at some video as opposed to, you know, spending time on a video game. Um, there's, there's, there's moments there that, that can be improved upon um, from a day-in, day-out basis. Now, we have to go at this at a, at a tempo and a rhythm that we can sustain. So, I mean, we, we can't go at it like we're killing snakes because there's always going to be more snakes. So what we have to do is we have to be a little bit more methodical in the, in the rhythm that we approach this, this constant drive for improvement. And can you talk a, lot, a little bit about the journey of Cal Rugby student-athlete? We talked to Coach Clark, and he kind of gave us the organizational framework. But you know, in, in your role now, the thing that I find really interesting is, is sort of the development of the Cal Rugby man, yeah. Cal Rugby student-athlete. Could you take us through a little bit of that journey? Because you're seeing seen young men all the way through now. Yeah. You know, the, the greatest privilege professionally that I have is to have the responsibility to help um, with the fellow coaches go out and identify um, those prospective high school players that we think might be a good match for us. Um, I purposefully didn't say the, t the, the term recruiting because we don't really ble believe in recruiting. What we believe in is making a match. And this is our opportunity here at the university, warts and all. Um, and if we can find somebody that's looking for what we have to offer, then that student athlete's gonna go from strength to strength. The day in and day out endeavor is, is, is where, um, you know, I'm really at the coal face. So whether it's um, a student athlete getting just organized from a time management standpoint to class schedules and assisting with that, to strength and conditioning, to you know, how do I approach entering an environment where I'm going to I'm going to train more than I've trained all through high school in one semester? Um, you know, that's that's just a big toolbox that I have to have uh, available to me to reach in and and pull out the right tool, you know, for for the job that the student athlete's requiring. And uh, sometimes that might mean a lot of conversation, and other times it might just be a look. How how has that has that changed as you've kind of matured as a as a coach? I, I think probably more patient. Uh, I, I hope my perspective um, now twenty years on this campus uh, provides me um, an enhanced perspective where maybe I'm not going to worry about something that I would have worried about ten years ago, um, and conversely. It, it gives me a perspective to to know this is a really important teachable moment right now, and I'm not going to miss it. And I got to be ready to coach this this young man in this moment. Um, and it might be at 
at midnight over the phone, uh, or it might be at, at 7 a.m. when he doesn't want to train, but that's when the team is training. We spoke to Coach Clark and around the, the definition of Cal Rugby's definition of leadership. I'm wondering if, if you could touch on that a little bit and expand a little bit on that as well. Yeah, well, I, I think it's, it's something that we're, we're proud about, um, having a definition that is, that is so tangible, it, it's, it's so actionable. You know, the ability, the skill uh, to make those around you better, more productive. Um, I mean, everybody's entitled to their own definition, but I, I think in a sports organization, you have to have one. And then if it takes you 15 or 20 minutes to kind of talk it through, then I don't know how actionable it's going to be. And in, in the day-to-day life on this campus, you know, there's multiple opportunities uh, to demonstrate leadership as a skill, to make those around you better, more productive in some way, shape, or form. And it becomes something that's not only accessible, but it's a requirement. And you, you, you just... You just gave your teammate a bad rep on, on the training field, and you've got a, require, a requirement to make him better. It's a responsibility that you, that you didn't fulfill in that moment. So it becomes, it, comes, it becomes a very real thing. It's not just a slogan or something that you would, um, that you would put up in a locker room. It's, it's, it's something that we, we, we endeavor to live by on a daily basis. And, and on that idea, what, what makes a good teammate? Oh boy! I mean, the short, the short answer would be somebody that's honest, um, somebody that's um, that's that's willing to put the team before themselves, and and I think somebody that's uh, that's 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 not only honest, but that they're just genuine. How do you measure your success as a coach, and then kind of the teams that you're a part of? It's for the players to decide. I mean, if if. The, the young men that, that, that I have the privilege to, uh, to coach and to interact with for a really short period of time, four or five seasons, um, if they reach their potential, then, then I've done my job. And some of those guys might not reach their potential while they're here. Some of them, maybe it's a year or two after they've matriculated, um, do they reach their potential. And, and that's not just as a rugby player. That's that's as a as a potential spouse, or as a maybe a father, uh, or a member of their community. If they've reached their potential, then uh, then lucky me. Coach, um, I want to thank you for your time. Um, you know, on that, I think I'm grateful that you've been with me every step of of my journey and path, not only as a Cal student athlete, but as a professional rugby player and as an international rugby player, and and um, I value our relationship as much as anything in my life, and and I want to tell you how much I appreciate that. So thanks for coming on, and thanks for being you. Privilege is mine. This week's takeaways look at the power of preparation and how coaches can get the best from their players. For Coach Billups, creating systems that support growth and culture development are important building blocks for any successful team and are just as important as the technical and tactical sides of their role. Put action into your experiences so those experiences mean something. Reflect on what you've accomplished, your successes, your failures, and use every opportunity to grow. Training doesn't only mean looking forward, it's also about learning from the past. What it means to be a pro. It's not about getting paid. It's the way you approach your work. And this applies to everyone, not just pro athletes. How you approach your business, how you prepare, 
how you interact with every person throughout your day. It's about approaching your business with responsibility and focusing on continuous improvement. Find the right match. Whether it's finding the right college or company, look for an environment that is the right culture fit for you. That means somewhere that will help you build upon your strengths and match your own personal values. And finally, remember that leadership is a skill. We all have the opportunity to make those around us better and more productive. It's a choice we can all make, and when we do, we are exercising real leadership. Thank you.